Hi, this is Aisha Hauser. I'm part of the lead ministry team at the Church of the Larger Fellowship, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you, hope it builds your faith, hope it gives you perspective to experience the power of Unitarian Universalism at work. Most of all, I hope you find ways to live out our beloved faith in your life that centers liberation rooted in love. And now, The View. Hello, I was about to say good morning, and it's really good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you are, good evening in the world. I'm Aisha Hauser, and I join you from Seattle, Washington. Welcome to The View. Reverend Dr. Michael Tino. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new season of The View. It is so good to be back with you. It is so good to be on our new technology that we hope will be more interesting and engaging. Um, Joining you from Peekskill, New York, and it's great to be with you. I'm wearing a red for Ed this morning in solidarity with uh, my educator siblings out there. Don Fortune, how are you? I am well, and I am. I'm excited to be back. Um, it's been sort of weird for the to to not have this thing on Thursdays and um, through the summer. And um, so I'll hand it back to Asia. Oh, good morning. Yes, thank you to. I want to thank Tanner Linden and Lori Stone, who are our producers and tech on the View. So thank you so much. So we are. This is our you know kickoff show of the season. So we're going to kind of open it up to whatever is on folks' hearts. I have a, I have a few things I would love to talk about that one of them, not really UU, but it is. And then of course, um, to me, the, um, I'm gonna name for myself the existential dilemma of wanting to, you know, affirm people in the fullness of their humanity and the feelings that I have for folks who chose not to get vaccinated and are now like hospitals are collapsing in some places um, and healthcare workers are at the brink. And I'm, I'm, you know, I heard people say, well, those folks shouldn't get medical care. And, and part of me is like, well, I don't want to, I don't, I don't know that I feel, I don't think, I, I don't want to be the part, you know, to say, yes, you chose not to get vaccinated, but now you're going to die a horrible death because you chose not to, because the, the human compassionate part of me is like, that's wrong. And the part of me that got vaccinated, as did, you know, most of everyone that is part of um, who I consider family and friends have, and I, I'm torn. So I would love, and, and, you know, the you, you faith leader in me says, well, I need to feel a certain way. And then the human in me who just wants the pandemic to end and knows we could have been a lot closer to, to it ending and not having variants if everyone just cooperated and weren't selfish is not feeling so kind. So I would love to know your thoughts. Um, you know, I think that we can be compassionate and also not perfect, right? So like we have to be compassionate to ourselves to, um, you know, as the as the parent of a child who is not yet eligible to be vaccinated, I have lots of feelings about people who are choosing not to be vaccinated and putting my child at risk and putting communities at risk. And, you know, I also understand that it's complicated, right? I mean, every time I see something about unvaccinated people, I think about, you know, folks who are not vaccinated yet because they 
have encountered systemic racism in the medical industry. And so their bar for trusting medicine <laughs> and pharmaceutical companies is a whole lot higher than mine. So I have to like have compassion for those people. And, and I'm aware that that's not the vast majority of people who are choosing not to get vaccinated. So it's complicated. I, you know, we can, we can like say we honor everyone's inherent worth and dignity and humanity. And at the same time, like be imperfect human beings ourselves and be mad at them. That doesn't mean that anyone deserves to die a horrible death. Anyone. John, you have thoughts? Oh, I have thoughts. Um, I had a pastoral conversation this morning with a congregant who is homesick with COVID and who is pretty sure that one of their children who is too young to be vaccinated is now infected. And I have at least two members who I know are not vaccinated, one of whom it is a choice and the other of whom is under advice from their doctor that that their autoimmune thing is is sufficient that they the, the the vaccine would be a significant risk for them and we will be meeting in person for worship on sunday we go over to the building tomorrow to set up the chairs you know six feet apart and and make sure we have enough masks on site and have all the health pledges and all that other stuff and then we have to kind of trust um that people are honest on things that they self-report accurately and mm, it's really challenging to hold all of that, you know. Um, in my in my former newspaper editor self, I can get all snarky and judgmental um, and high-minded and superior about I'm wearing my face mask and you infidels are not or whatever. Um, when I go to the grocery store. Yeah, like Aisha, it's sometimes hard to feel compassion when it feels like people are willfully ignoring sound scientific information. Of course, my Facebook feed is filled with all kinds of interesting things, and one of which came through recently was a cartoon about what happened in the 1970s and early 80s when seatbelt laws began to sweep the nation and people were saying we have freedom and don't you tell us what to do and you don't live in fear you're all a bunch of sheep and i'm like oh baby we have come so far not and i also grew up right next to new hampshire which still doesn't have a seatbelt law which still doesn't have a helmet law they take that live free or die thing kind of serious there <sighs> freedoms are tough responsibilities are tough and when people are behaving from their amygdala right their scared part of their brain there is no way to reason with somebody who's in that part of their brain it's just reason goes out the window when the amygdala gets triggered and so in order to have any sort of rational conversation there you have to take that person out of the frightened place out of the triggered place. And sometimes they're willing to come out of that place. And sometimes they're not. And a lot of times I don't have the patience to try. I lived in New Hampshire for a couple of years, but the, the what can you understand? From, oh, <laughs> live free and die. I mean, no helmet. Yeah. Law? What's that about? Um, right. 
She built some I, fireworks. We want fireworks and alcohol at the same store. And then get on the motorcycle drunk and with fireworks. Without a helmet. Without yep. a helmet. Um, this country, the remnants of the knee jerk reaction of, I'm not going to, don't tell me what to do. I'm not going to do what you tell me, really does date back to the Revolutionary War, right? Well, it, go, well, it goes back to colonialism because the notion of freedom in this country never apply to everyone. So this whole thing about the fear, the fear depending on the group you're talking about, the fear is different. So for indigenous people, the fear is genocide and erasure, which has happened. Uh, for descendants of enslaved Africans, black people, it is fear of the state who is incarceration, being murdered, brown people, immigrants, people who aren't white and of European descent have a fear that is based in reality of, uh, you know, hundreds of years of trauma and horror inflicted on those groups. The fear coming from white people who are yelling freedom, freedom, freedom is uh, fear of not being on top. It, well, it's worse than fragility. It, yes, it's fragility, but it's also, to me, I'm going to take it past fragility. It's we're on top. We want to stay there. And, and there's been a buy-in of the fear is of black and brown people, not of the state and of uh, the fear of white people has been a product of propaganda in order to maintain patriarchy, hierarchy and oppressive structures. Right. So at which which leads to kind of the horror that is the current United States, well, since the founding of the United States. So when people look at the Texas law, the answer which we're going to have a show about next week, the anti-abortion, um, anti-people with a freedom for people with uteruses, uh, it, it dates back to control and white men wanting to maintain patriarchy and the white women who, who support them. So when we talk about people saying, I want to be free, it's not the same conversation for everyone. And how, I guess my question is, yes, it's talk, it's, it's getting people, um, to, it's not even bypassing the amygdala, it's, it's calming the amygdala, letting people know they're not under threat. But I go back to what I've said before many times on this show is what James Baldwin says, like white people are not connected to themselves. And it is that disconnection from themselves that creates the ability to separate themselves from their own humanity to be okay with horrors happening to others. And that's playing out on, on a, just a horrific scale with not getting vaccinated and people not giving a shit. So can you say that again? So James Baldwin talked about, wrote about, um, and talked about white people not being connected to themselves. That the the reason why white people can uh, be witness to the horrors happening to black and brown people, and you know, obviously at his time it was the dogs and lynchings and just all the horror that was perpetrated, is because white people are disconnected from their fundamental humanity that is inside them. So the question is, especially as faith leaders in a denomination that is predominantly white people, how do we inspire, I don't know if even the word is inspire, how do we invite, inspire, lead people or, or help facilitate white people to find themselves and be connected to their own humanity? Does that make sense? You know, it, it makes a whole lot of sense, Asia, and it, it's, it's interesting to me. I think there's, there's truth there. I think the the sort of moral injury that comes with having to or, or or convincing yourself that these atrocities are okay in some way is real 
And at the same time, it's so interesting to me, so much of this freedom, freedom, like you can't tell me what to do, stuff is so based in the individual, right? And we talk about freedom and um, people are making decisions based on themselves and not on what is what is necessary for everyone to be free. So like simultaneously, there's this lack of connection to the self and this overemphasis on the self. And I find it, I, I find it very interesting to juxtapose those things. And yeah. like, um, yeah. there's a lack of connection to, to a more a moral self mm. and an overemphasis on a, uh, an ego self or yeah. something. I'm, I'm not a psychologist. Don't, don't ask me. <laughs> to come up with like funny. actual terms yeah. for this. It, uh, yeah. Wow. I mean, our our foundational DNA as a political nation is founded in an ethos of "you're not the boss of me." Yeah. Okay. Um, well, the, the Cambridge platform for those who have or shall soon endure seminary um, and the Cambridge platform, it is a document that was written in the 1630s establishing first and foremost that nobody is going to give us a minister we haven't chosen, which is where congregational polity comes from. And it is based very firmly in the juvenile, adolescent foot stomping of a people who didn't want to be told what to do. And, you know, there are times when I just get so overwhelming and I think in order to get any progress, we need to actually go back to that and examine our colonialist roots, examine the ethos, like examine the makeup of the mortar in the foundation of this of this white supremacist culture that came from Europe um, because it had so befouled its own nest in Europe that it, it was in danger of dying out and needed to find someplace else to defile, to, to um, befoul. Europe was filled with disease and pestilence and all manner of horrible, horrible, horrible things. And people left there to come to this continent to find a clean place where they could sort of start over or at the very least, um, you know, have a new place to start that process. And that's what they did. You know, they didn't come here to find uncivilized territory with which to civilize. They came here to find a civilized people to destroy. So we actually, we have some, um, some comments and questions from I'm folks shocked. online. Shocked, I and tell I'm you. just I, I they don't necessarily go exactly with this conversation we're having, but I want to make sure that people's voices are brought in. Andrea Simmons in Sweden, hello Andrea, writes um, at my UU Zoom group out of Prague Wednesday evening. I got the impression the federal government would overrule the Texas abortion ban. Is that false? We, we will be having our whole show next week on um, reproductive justice and organizing in Texas. And the, the short answer to it is that the Supreme Court was given an opportunity to enjoin the law and didn't, which is a really bad sign for 
what they will one day rule when it gets to them um, as a constitutional case. The, the current presidential administration, the Biden administration, is trying hard to put whatever safeguards they can into effect, but there's very little that the federal government can actually do in states uh, to ensure reproductive freedom. Uh, there's very little. And so it's going to be up to courts saying this bill overturns a fundamental right. And it looks like there's a majority on the Supreme Court that disagree with the fact that uh, reproductive freedom for people with uteruses is a fundamental right of humanity. And that's really sad. And speaking of people that I'm angry at, if at some point in 2016 you ever said, there's no difference between Democrats and Republicans, I'm mad at you right now. So <laughs> whoever you are out there, if that's what something you said in 2016 because you didn't like Hillary Clinton, th then uh, there's, there's a difference. Um, Freddie Bowles uh, writes, my question is how do I reply to family that love Candace Owens? I have no idea who Candace Owens is. I do. Uh, Candace Owens okay. is a uh, black conservative female on, she appears on Fox news often. And apparently the most recent thing I heard, and I don't know, Freddie, if this is what you're speaking to, uh, she had a heart, she loud anti-vaxxer on Fox and um, really just buys into the whole Fox news um, propaganda machine. So she was on vacation with her family, started feeling ill and tried to get a test, a COVID test. And somebody, uh, I guess the director sent her an email and said, because you are, you know, we know you're an anti-vaxxer, you, you espouse, um, and you don't believe in science, basically said, we're not giving you a test. Now, regardless of the right or wrong of that, here's what I want. I, when I do workshops on race, um, I do them all. I've been doing them the last few years. And P I always get the question, what do I say to my family? Um, how do I change people's minds? Or and, and here's what I always say. Here's my suggestion. When you have family members who are, you know, have polar opposite views or are espousing views that are, you know, harmful to most of the of humanity, I center who I am and what I believe. I don't try to change anyone's mind because that's not a thing. No one has a chance of changing my mind if I don't want it to be changed. And that's true for other people. So one of the things I do say is I'm not centrist. I'm not halfway to white nationalism or a Nazi. I, I don't, I believe in science. I got vaccinated. Like I would really genuinely speak in I statements, especially when we're talking family uh, unless you're really genuinely wanting to cut people off, which I'm guessing that's not going to be the case. So I would center your values and simply not, you can't play tug of war with someone if you drop the rope. And you, this tug of war of, of whether or not, you know, defending somebody like Candace Owens or people talking about what's on TV, Fox News or social media is not, it's, just, it's, you're not going to get anywhere. It's just going to, you're going to go in circles. You're going to frustrate yourself and you're going to hurt your relationship. I would just be very clear. Here is what I believe. Here's what I think. And I firmly believe in, in taking care of the community. That's why I got vaccinated. I firmly, um, you know, affirm the rights of black and brown people. I affirm uh, liberation. So I would just simply say what you feel and say, we're not going to get anywhere with this conversation because there's no, 
I've never seen anyone's mind changed, especially in the comment section of any social media post. So I just, for me, I advise, I always advise against it. So I don't know, Dawn and Michael, if you have different thoughts or same thoughts, but that's that's my throwing it out there. I think um, <clears throat> with the individualism that that we talked about earlier, the way to change people's minds is to have it kick, have something kick them squarely in the ass. You know, uh, pro-lifers are generally one unplanned pregnancy away from being pro-choice. Anti-vaxxers are generally one dead self or relative away from being science believers. You know? Oh, how about people on their deathbed, the, the radio hosts who kept saying, don't get vaccinated, and then they're on their deathbed saying, oh, I wish I got vaccinated. Like I said, it's it's the individualism that cares not about the community, not about the collective only about themselves and only when it hits themselves yes. only when their own ass is on fire does it suddenly become an issue of import yeah I, I mean i think i like your advice asia to to be clear about what it is that you believe and why you believe it i will agree that i've never seen someone's mind changed on the comments of a social media if you're talking about the person that you're arguing with and there are always people watching that conversation, right? So if you're clear about what you believe and why you believe it and why you why you make decisions based in your values as a Unitarian Universalist, um, then you might not change the person who watches Candace Owens on Fox News, but somebody else might hear you and go, oh, that, that person might... My, my, cousin makes a whole lot of sense and i appreciate like having that and I, and i take that that's my sort of philosophy in comment sections on social media too uh, i don't argue on like politicians pages i don't do that i i bless any of you that want to argue with politicians on facebook i don't do it um because there's so much posturing and and image out there. I mean, someone asked, Andrea Simmons asked about Caitlyn Jenner, who supported uh, Texas's law. Um, Caitlyn is running for governor of California. Please, please vote no on the recall. <laughs> uh, Caitlyn is running for governor of California and wants to get herself in the news. And one of the ways you get yourself in the news is by saying controversial things. So, like, I'm not going to argue with Caitlyn Jenner, but if somebody is posting something of Caitlyn Jenner and saying, well, what about this woman? She supports this. I might argue enough. I might state what I believe and why I believe it, because there are other people who are going to be watching that conversation who will appreciate the fact that I have stated what I believe and that I have stood up for in the case of Texas, uh, people with uteruses to have uh, reproductive freedom um, as someone who does not have one in, in this society. It's important that, that those of us who do not have to make that decision and will not ever have to make that decision exist in solidarity with those who might one day have to make that decision. So, oh, and I think the difference is what I think you, yes, stay stating so that the people, you know, who are kind of observing the conversation, whether on social media or in person saying, here's what my, where my values are. And here's what I think is different than here's why you're wrong. 
That's when everything shuts down and then you end up picking the rope and get into a tug of war where everybody's in the mud, right? So right. that's what I mean. Exactly right. Like just say, here's what I think and then that's it and leave it there. And I, you know, I, I've had when way back 7,000 years ago when people, uh, when Barack Obama was first running and people, oh, he was born in Kenya. You know what I would say? I would say, if you believe that, nothing I say is going to change your mind. And I would leave it there. Like I'm, I'm like, if, I'm not going to argue the man was born in Hawaii. But I want to go back to something that I think is uh, kind of a nugget for me for Unitarian Universalism, Michael, what you said that is kind of churning in my mind that is so rich and interesting. Yes, there's the individual, you're not the boss of me part of what white people definitely um, grasp onto, you know, the people who are choosing not to believe in science and what have you. But then the the what I think James Baldwin was talking about in terms of white people being connected to themselves is the spiritual connection that also affirms for us we need other people, that we need to be in community, right? So I, I appreciate the, you know, uh, lifting up that, no, people are doing things for themselves, but I don't think that means the spiritual, emotional connection that is connected to the life force that is connected to each other, right? That we're all connected. So that's the part that I think, as you use, we can, the invitation is to think about that. Well, what an interesting conversation. Um, and um, we, we also today, in our season eight kickoff, um, wanted to give you all a little um, preview of uh, like our season preview. You know, uh, what's coming up in the next couple of weeks. We have uh, Tanner, especially, has been hard at work book booking guests uh for this fall we will be talking next week about texas we have uh our our friends from uu justice arizona janine gelsinger and company coming on in two weeks uh, we will be talking several times this fall about prison ministry clf's ministry to and with incarcerated unitarian universalists prison abolition and also uh with people who work with incarcerated people outside of Unitarian Universalism. Um, so we're really looking forward to some of those conversations. Um, we're going to be um, featuring some uh, some guests who have written books, uh, one of whom uh, is uh, Meg Riley, Minister Emerita of, of the uh, Church of the Larger Fellowship and uh, former host of, of The View. Meg is the editor of this year's Meditation Manual, Shelter in This Place, and will be coming on to share some things from that. We're going to be talking about uh, Justice for the Earth. Uh, it's I'm just looking at this, this uh, schedule, and uh, I am so excited uh, to help bring you this, um, this new season. Aisha, do you have stuff that you're particularly excited about? You know, I, I love coming together every week and learning from folks in our, in our, uh, in our faith. And uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to all of it. Um, I don't know that I'm looking forward to one show more than the other. I always find love when we, or appreciate when we lift up the prison ministry, because I think uh, too often we, for, we, it's not, present in our minds how many people are incarcerated in this country. And I don't know if any of you, it, it came across my feed a few weeks ago that um, there, and I know this has been happening, but people, um, farms are now using incarcerated people to work the farms. I mean, have, it, it's staggering the, um, the continued just 
cruelty of our incarcerated system where we're pretending it's not a throwback to, you know, we're continuing slavery, but it is, I mean. It literally is. Uh, it literally is, Asia, because the, the amendment to the U.S. Constitution that outlawed right. slavery has one exception in it. And the, the constitutional allowed slavery in the United States is people who are being punished for a crime. Right, so it is. It is like in the United States Constitution that that if you are being punished for a crime, um, you are allowed to be enslaved in this country. Right, like it's not even. It's not even like we worked around the Constitution some way to come up with a way to replace chattel slavery. Um, it's just. It's literally just spelled out right there in the United States Constitution that slavery still exists for people who are in, incarcerated in this country. So it doesn't, it's not any surprise to me that we, we as a society faced with, faced with labor shortages on farms because of people who dehumanize migrant workers uh, turn next to enslaved incarcerated people. Because, you know, we need our vegetables and fruits. We need to have lettuce. Someone's, well, someone's got to pick the lettuce, even if it's... <laughs> right. But in if we season, were... out of season, somebody's got to pick the lettuce. No, 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 no. no. What I'm saying... pay people. No, no, what I'm saying is is that model is corporate farming. Oh, yeah. If we, when, if we used local farms to produce our vegetables, then we would have seasonal um, nutrition right? Or we would have greenhouses or something, but there would be no need to have an exploited workforce at that scale. Yeah. Okay? I mean, I, I think that's one thing. Yes. I, I think that's, you know, addressing farming, but the bigger issue is this country has a firm grasp on violent extractive capitalism and slavery. And, and that, yes. I mean, that's why I think, I think there's the, you know, when people make the statement slavery ended, it didn't, it no, worked, it didn't. right? And mm -hmm. so yep. that's the truth that even many UUs don't want to hear. They don't want to address. They don't want to face. And, you know, maybe we can do a show at some point because I really want, you know, the, the exist. it's now like, an, I'm going to be thinking about this for days now, Michael. <laughs> um, you're right that there's a individualism, this uber individualism. I'm going to, don't tell me what to do, but then that same person is kind of emotionally and spiritually um, bereft and kind of out on a raft somewhere and not connected to maybe their soul, their heart. So, I mean, how do, how do we get people to care? It's like, was it Dr. Fauci said when the beginning of this whole mask thing, like, I don't know how to tell you to care about other people. Um, how, how do, how do we, how do we tell people to care about other people? And that, I, I'm still, I mean, like I guess I'm going to think about it for days because it's true. It's it's a, such an interesting tension that exists in the United And I do think it's a singularly United States thing, although we're exporting it to Canada because Canada now has anti-mask uh, demonstrations sporadically thrown. I'm like, oh, look, you're welcome, Canada. <laughs> so there's, but it's, but it's, I've experienced it as uniquely United States, this, this rugged, uber, uh, destructive, you're not the boss of me stuff and then at the same time people really losing sense of what their human who who 
who we are as humans and really what our responsibilities are to each other and to the planet. Cultural and spiritual adolescence yep. that has been stunted in place for 500 years. Yeah. So we're going to be taking that on this year on The Vogue. Aren't we um, And uh, <laughs> we'll come up with cheerful topics too, we promise, <laughs> uh, because, you know, we like to have fun. Um, and we want to invite you, the Vuvuers, um, <laughs> whether you are here with us live uh, and want to type this into the comments live or you're watching on the podcast or on YouTube, we, we also want to invite you to suggest things that you would like us to talk about um, and, and get them to us. Um, this is this is can be a conversation that we are running when we I learned today that we are the voices of Unitarian Universalism. So <laughs> Today I learned. Today, today I learned, and you are the voices of Unitarian Universalism as well. I think. So. I think if anybody at at Farnsworth knew that I was representing the voices, I think there'd there'd be some sort of action somehow, somewhere to be like, really, don't. Mm, mm, I'm not sure that's wise um, to have me. Well, they can think what the they voices. want. Your hair, Dawn. So. <laughs> oh, God bless you. <laughs> Um, I, I want to know, and we haven't heard much so far, is how, and I'm going to ask Asia to represent an entire demographic, how are religi religious educators holding up? Not well. You know, this has been, yeah, <laughs> because we're still in a pandemic. The congregations in general are you know folks who want to go to go gather and find solace and community and comfort um, are sick of zoom and as you said congregations are starting to meet in person whether or not that's a good or bad idea it's people want to be together and i can appreciate that religious educators have been caught in a an unfortunate dilemma where congregations are saying hey families aren't really coming on Sundays. And my response is it's Zoom and they've been on Zoom school all week, including preschool and kindergarten. So yeah, can we give families a break to not wanna do this on Sundays and how is this? And then, so it becomes a, where religious educators jobs are either being cut or cut, um, cut in half or folks are being let go altogether. And then what happens is when you do come back, you're gonna need that religious educator. So it's a little bit of a being short, um, I'm now I don't want to be ableist either, but not not recognizing that actually you keeping the religious educator in place full time is the wisest thing to do because yes, there is um, families are tired. However, families need more support than ever, and and lifespan every age, folks need support and a place to have faith development and and opportunities for programming of all ages, youth young adults, adults, um, elders. And so because there is so much anxiety and stress in the system on parish ministers, boards, leadership, um, we, we are hearing anecdotally that religious educators um, are kind of, in some cases, you know, being, uh, you know, being, being let go, uh, being fired, and it's um, it's beyond unfortunate. It is again not recognizing that actually those positions are going to be crucial in the coming years 
uh, for congregation. So we're not, we're not doing well, but you know what, but who is, I mean, I don't want to, yeah, religious educators who, who don't have formal power. Most of them aren't called the vast majority aren't called. So, you know, we're, we're the group that's easy to unfortunately, uh, let go of. And so it's been, it's been heartbreaking, frankly. I mean, it's like, it's like looking at a piece of infrastructure, like a giant bridge and noticing that it's only really heavy with traffic for three hours a day, hour and a half in the morning, hour and a half at night. But look at all the hours in the middle of the e middle of the night where it has absolutely no traffic. So obviously we don't need this bridge. <laughs> it, thank no. you. That's a beautiful analogy. Michael, do you want to, we got some great comments. We are coming to the top of the hour yeah. and people are taking us up on suggesting, um, suggesting Ooh. upcoming shows. Darby Lockridge. Hi, Darby. Mm -hmm. Right, so I love the idea of having the CLF interns on. I think Darby means our learning fellows. Um, and we have three learning fellows, three fantastic learning fellows. Althea Smith, our senior learning fellow, and uh, Arian Babcock and Lucretia Williams, our two first-year learning fellows. They are really amazing, Darby. And um, Darby says, I'd love to hear more from them in a less formal setting than worship services. If you have been coming to CLF worship services, uh, which are live, Sunday nights Eastern time U.S. and Monday afternoons replayed at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, you have sort of met them already, but I love I love the idea of having uh, inviting them on as guests. And Danza Deluna says, uh, "Yes, let's have Renoir Hamami from Side with Love." On uh, yes, Renoir, the Reverend Renoir Hamami is now um, the Congregational Justice Organizer in our in our. Uh, Side with Love uh, program from um, UUA headquarters, and they is, are amazing. And that is a brilliant we, we decision. Should, we should book um, our colleagues at Side with Love. Until next uh, week, beloved. Yes, until next week. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to the Church of the Larger Fellowship. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit clfuu.org backslash podcast for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks again for listening. This is Tanner Linden, producer of The View. As we were recording outtakes for the show, we had to retry them several times because our giggles and our laughter kept impeding a smooth and fluid outtake. But I just couldn't go without including this outtake to the final version of this episode. So I hope you enjoy hearing the laughter and the giggles from our hosts as they say goodbye to you all and welcome you to listen next week. Voices We're not doing it all by the seat of our pants this year? No. <laughs> we Jeez. never did that, Reverend Dawn. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're getting fancy. 
here at Ooh, CLS. Yeah. Mm. And we appreciate you know, being with us. You're going to want me to wear pants and stuff. No, we do not. We, as long as you're not standing up, we don't care yeah. what you have on, on the bottom. That's your business. That's right. <laughs> I love you, folks. I, see, I love you. I, miss you. I have so missed you so much. much.